0: Welcome to PDA Neurodivergence and the Perpetually Determined Advocate. I am your Perpetually Determined Advocate, Cassandra. This is a biweekly podcast dedicated to raising awareness and acceptance of PDA, or Pathological Demand Avoidance, which is a lesser-known part of the autism spectrum. My hope for this podcast is to provide a place of learning and growth, as well as a platform for PDAers, professionals, parents, family members, and others to speak out on this condition, as well as providing resources for those who want to learn more. Last time we discussed what PDA is, or at least I tried to provide some brief introduction to it. This time, I'd like to get a bit more into how PDA is identified. It's specific symptoms based on the research of Dr. Elizabeth Newson, who first identified PDA as a subgroup of autism, and as always, I will be relying on the exceedingly knowledgeable folks over at the PDA Society for their expertise in this information. I will also be taking you through some of the steps that I followed when seeking a diagnosis for my son, that way anyone who may be having a lightbulb moment, as I mentioned last time, can have some sort of roadmap with lots of resources to pursue. I am also in search of PDAers, medical professionals, and parents of PDA children who want to come and share their experience on the podcast, so if you or someone you know would like to come on and use this platform to tell their story, please contact me at perpetuallydeterminedadvocate@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Now, let's get into this. What are the signs of PDA? As I mentioned last time, there's not a one-size-fits-all set of diagnostic criteria, and PDA is experienced differently person to person. I know that for some parents in my group, their children's demand avoidance is much higher than what I experience, but others seem to exhibit something a bit lower. And some of that has to do with the individual's ability to mask, as well as the dimensional nature of autism and its profiles in general. It's a mixed bag. But there are a few distinctive features that were identified by Dr. Newson and continue to be studied and researched by the PDA society. And those are first resisting and avoid, avoiding ordinary demands of life. Right. we talked about this a bit last time, the key words here are ordinary demands, eating, getting dressed, brushing your teeth. These are things that most of us get up and do without a second thought. You may not even think of things like this as demands placed on you because of how mundane they seem from the outside. However, remember that as a neurotypical person, your brain is wired differently and doesn't register the demand here. Those with PDA can have exceeding difficulty meeting these, even when it isn't expected by another person. I often speak of my case as a mom trying to navigate alternate, altering demands on her son, But plenty of PDAers have to deal with putting these demands on themselves and thus have trouble meeting these internal demands. Going back to my point of reference, though, I have watched my little man grip his toothbrush so tightly that he's white-knuckled, opening his mouth as far as he can and seeming to struggle like there's a weight on his arm to try to get the toothbrush into his mouth, only to stop centimeters from it and say, I can't. And his face and his hands fall and he tries to rally himself to try again all while panicking and worrying that he's going to be late to school and it's only 7 a.m at this point like that's how some of his days start another uh of the key points is using social strategies as part of the avoidance and i also kind of mentioned this last time too uh, sometimes it's not a simple no i can't um, There's times when it is. Other times though, it's screaming no, running from the room to escape the anxiety the situation is causing. Um, Sometimes it can be pretending to be an animal because animals aren't expected to do these things or they don't have hands to complete these types of tasks. It could be that they're too tired or too weak or they'll do it later because there's something far more pressing holding their attention at the moment. There are loads of ways that this can play out. The important thing to notice here Is whether or not there's an escalation of fight-flight or freeze happening if the issue is pressed. Is this just a matter of resistance or normal avoidance? All kids and adults avoid demands at times. Or is this one that appears to cause real anxiety? This isn't a quick thing to identify either. You really have to watch and keep track to see how various situations are affecting the person. That way, if a medical professional tries to pass it off you have plenty of examples to relay to them suggesting that this isn't a behavioral quirk but rather something pathological and that is key the condition is pathological demand avoidance meaning that it's extreme or excessive and indeed quite out of the control of the person who is experiencing it the next is appearing sociable but lacking some understanding. So they may seem socially able to interact, making eye contact or responding when you talk to them, but that conversation may be very superficial um, or it may be more uh, like an exchange of information than an actual conversation. This exhibited in my son with his very pedantic speech. He nearly always has a fact for you, His appearance of quote unquote normal interaction is what made many feel he did not meet the criteria for autism. He'll look you in the eyes, though not always consistently, um, and he will talk to you, but while he'll respond if you speak to him, he's more talking at you, right? He's like a little professor, which is ironic because I teach college. Um, But he's imparting knowledge to you. He'll rarely ask how you're feeling or notice subtle changes in mood. He'll notice major ones, like tears or screaming. Happy tears, though, were a whole different discussion. But the whole, hi, how are you, good, and you, how have you been? All that's lost on him. I've never been much for small talk, so I can't say that it bothers me much. When you talk to him, it's real. There's substance, and honestly, that's pretty cool for a kid. Now though comes the scary one, which is experiencing intense emotions and mood swings. This is where the issues of emotional regulation, rapid mood swings, impulsiveness, and unpredictability can create a dangerous concoction. I don't mean you should be scared of the person, but more scared of their actions or what they could do to themselves. That's what scares me. These situations most often come about when a pda -er is pushed into meltdown, but I have seen them surface at the first mention of a demand too, though not as often. Even if you're trying your best to stay calm, with a soothing tone and not presenting demands, the pda -er can still go from calm to refusal, yelling, and running away quickly because of the rise in anxiety. Again, this is not something within their control so it shouldn't be met with chiding or belittling or dismissive remarks about what they're doing and or how it's unnecessary or unprecedented this is also a time to be attentive i've heard from pdaers and parents of pdaers that these rapid mood swings with combined intense emotion and impulsivity can lead a pdaer to self harm my son has scratched himself pulled his hair banged his head against a wall or a floor, slapped or hit himself, and pulled or stretched his skin. While leaving the room for a safe space to escape the anxiety and situation should absolutely be allowed if needed, it's important to make sure that the person is not hurting themselves as well. Sometimes this isn't the easiest balance, and I've been told plenty of times to go away whenever I've overstepped. But with his history of self-harm and verbalized suicidal thoughts, I always make sure to check. I just, I love him too much not to check every time. When we received his diagnosis, the psychologist told us that because of this part of PDA and his exhibiting the trait so young, we needed to make sure we had an emergency plan with a hospital nearby as a contingency plan. Adolescents with PDA are at a much higher risk of suicide than their peers because of intense intense emotion and impulsivity. That was an absolutely gut-wrenching thing to hear. But I would rather know, adapt, and be prepared than continue in dangerous ignorance. Plus, the plan alerts the hospital to his condition, which is an important part of the process of investigating what might've happened since he is a child. Next, we have appearing comfortable in role play, pretend, or fantasy, and in some cases not letting that go, right? For some PDAs, the line between pretend and reality can get a little blurred, and the persona that they use in imaginative play can carry over into everyday life. Having an active imagination like this can be one of the reasons someone is denied an autism assessment. That just doesn't fit into the nice neat box of what an autistic person does. Just because someone has an imagination, though, does not mean that they cannot also be autistic. Another sign is focusing intently, often on other people. So... PDAers have uh, repetitive or restrictive interests, and these can often be with people, right, real or fictional. Uh, it doesn't always have to be someone in their life. Um, it isn't always person-oriented, and sometimes it's just a topic. Um, and what you'll see is that you know the PDAer will absolutely inhale and digest everything they can on that subject. In our house. We love animals, specifically sharks, but others too, uh, nature documentaries, octonauts and wildcrats, books and magazines about animals, uh, loads of things, right? When it's a person, the pda can have an almost obsessive interest in them or need to be near them constantly. Even as a two-month-old infant, my guy knew when I was not the one holding him and screamed relentlessly until he was returned to me. When I went back to work, he was um, almost three months old, and I was only teaching one class uh, three days a week that semester. So I was gone for the hour of the class and then an hour for office hours. So, you know, within driving to and from which the campus was closed, so about two and a half hours, three days a week there was a babysitter who would come and stay with him and that poor woman he would scream at her almost the entire two and a half hours uh, that he was here with her and away from me so this is something that and again as a two-month old infant there's no way that that was intentional right but still um, even now beginning preschool right was a long process But even today, he will constantly ask me questions about my favorite things, how I think or feel about something. It's information gathering. He's researching me. And as a historian, I can appreciate that. But even on other topics that he's had these very sort of repetitive and restrictive interests with, he can recall and give back to you absolute reams of information. It floors me how bright this child is. He's amazing. This may be a signpost of the condition, but honestly it needs to be acknowledged as a superpower because it's phenomenal. Finally, we have the need for control driven by anxiety or an automatic threat response, right, in the face of demands. And I discussed this quite a bit last time. But just to reiterate, that need for control is fueled by anxiety and seeking safety. It's not fueled by a need for power. This one is perhaps the most misunderstood of all the PDA signs, and I mentioned that previously as well. Okay, so what are some of the ways that PDA can be misdiagnosed now that you know some of the major signposts? ADHD is a big one especially if it's a kiddo younger than about seven because of the overlapping issues with emotional irregularities and impulsivity. Um, The tricky part here is that statistically about 40% of autistic people also have ADHD, so it isn't that far off the mark. It just isn't the only issue. Uh, ODD or oppositional defiant disorder is another big misdiagnosis because ODD is is known as Persistent, negative, hostile, and defiant behavior towards authority. See the confusion? While there are overlaps, there is a pretty big key difference. ODD is fueled by a need for power. Um, Things like star charts and reward-based approaches work really well with ODD. Those things will not work with a PDA-er. And you also don't really see avoidance on a social level with ODD the way you do with PDA. Conduct disorder is another where you have major age-appropriate societal norms or rules that are violated. However, with this one, those violations are done intentionally, and as I've mentioned at length, right? the avoidance with PDA is unintentional and unavoidable because it's due to an autism spectrum condition and not being done out of any sort of spiteful or um, intentional uh, behavior. Reactive attachment disorder also has parallels, but the diagnostic criteria here is that there has to be um, extremes of insufficient care in a child's early life. Without that, you can't really line up there. Bipolar disorder is another uh, and one that we went through an assessment for because of the extreme highs and lows of mood and increasing aggression uh, that can be sometimes misunderstood as mania. Um, The issue here is that those periods of quote unquote mania did not last long enough to really meet the criteria for bipolar disorder. Um, The other thing too is this and other personality disorders can sometimes be considered in children, but most of them are not diagnosed in children because of the difficulty meeting criteria. This is one that normally gets diagnosed later. All right, you have the facts, but how do you get your own feel for this and research it? Right? Where do you look? I've mentioned and will continue to mention the PDA Society their information resources links to articles are astounding they are truly a font of knowledge that can aid in your quest to learn more about pda whether that's for yourself or someone else if you are in the United States or Canada, PDA North America also has a website which can provide helpful information and training. Uh, they also have links to first hand accounts of PDAers like Harry Thompson, who I've mentioned previously. There's also an uh, incredible resource that I found last year in lockdown called Academy, like Academy, but AU, right? This is such a unique and brilliant group who are, to use their own words, a new home for autistic learning and the education of non-autistic people about autistic experience. Remember that I mentioned I didn't wanna be just another talking head rattling on about this from the outside, from my neurotypical position. This group specifically was founded by Dr. Chloe Farahar who seeks to educate people about the autistic experience through the lens of autistic educators. They are a fantastic resource. They have information, short videos that can nail topics so much better than I ever could. They have pages on all the social media outlets and I highly recommend following them because they do you know, webinars and lives and can provide you with so much better information. Then I would know because these are people who not only live the autistic experience, but are trained in it as well, right? Um, Not all of their information is specifically about PDA, but it is represented there. For more insight from the inside, there is also a podcast called Fight and Fawn, which is 2 PDAers sharing their experiences in a few episodes. I think there are about five. Um, you can also search up PDA groups on social media, which can have helpful resources available. Most of them do not require a diagnosis for joining, but many are private groups, so I will refrain from mentioning them by name here. Um, I can say that I absolutely adore my group. They are wonderful, caring people. It is a combination of PDAers and friends and family of PDAers, and the exchange of experience, advice, and support has been absolutely fantastic. And it's helped me become a better parent to all of my kids, not just my PDA kid. Once you get all of your ducks in a row with observation and research, talk to your doctor. If you notice signs of PDA, that's the first place you need to go. You may need to bring along one of the, like, the printable brief guides from the PDA Society to give a point of reference because, you know, underrepresented. Um, Then you're going to need some sort of assessment from a psychologist. Uh, The key here is finding someone who is familiar with PDA and the PDA profile um, and trained in assessing for it. Right, that can be a challenge. I received the name of the doctor we used by contacting PDA North America. They do have a list of professionals trained in PDA and they also offer training for those who are interested. Uh, the psychologist will most likely want to talk to you prior to the assessment to determine what tests will be needed. Right? You will have a stack of paperwork and questionnaires to complete ahead of time. Um, And just a heads up, if you are doing this for a child, some of those will need to be completed by school officials. So if you're trying to do this in in summer, that can be a bit of a problem. Um, I, Whenever we went through the process, it was both at the start of summer and in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so it was a very problematic thing when we saw those forms. However, uh, luckily, there were still people at the school who were willing to step in and fill out that stuff for us so that we could get the process um, rolling and get the diagnosis prior to the following school year beginning. Right. So after all the assessments, you're going to have a couple of weeks to wait um, before you hear back. Remember, I've mentioned that the diagnosis itself, when you get it, it doesn't change anything, right? It's simply a torch in the darkness to show you what you're fighting and to give you an idea of what tools you need to use in order to level that field, right? In order to best help the person with the diagnosis. Okay. I... Honestly, I I hope this has provided some insight on what to look for and where to go for more information from people far more educated on this topic than I am. Uh, Really all I'm trying to be here is the spotlight, not the person in it. I want to shine light onto the condition and those who can provide the information needed to create a better awareness and acceptance of PDA so that kids, like my son, will stop being labeled as naughty, manipulative, or bad-mannered. Manipulative is the one that gets to me the most, because that's just, it's heinous. It's damaging to PDAs to treat them as pariahs when they're not doing these things with the intent of being willfully defiant or hurtful. And until this happens, I'll just continue to shine light into the PDA corners of the internet for those who want or need to learn about it. As always, you can email me with any questions, comments, constructive criticism, or concerns at perpetuallydeterminedadvocate at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, in a world where you can be anything, be kind.